like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 outer shell fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 outer shell fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by enforced technology. Only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Hey, everybody out there in fire engineering listening land. Um, Happy New Year, man. It's a brand new year. And Michael Dugan and I are so excited to come to you with our first edition of the Mikey G and Mikey D show for good grief, Michael. It is 2024. Holy smokes. Time Time goes by when you get old, and Michael and I are getting older, so that means time's going faster. Um, welcome to the show, gang. Welcome to a brand new year with fire engineering, with all the cool things that are done in the fire engineering world, from the magazine to the shows to the online articles. And of course, um, some humble time here spent with my dear friend, Michael, and one of our best buddies, Candace Ashby, who's going to going to rock your world. Um, Mike and I get to pick whoever we want to start off the year, right, Michael? I mean, we get we got lots of cool people out there, and we talked about it, and Candace is the person that we wanted to put in front of you to lead off 2024. Before we get there, uh, let me kick it over to my buddy Mike, and you know, Happy New Year. You're in the middle of an ice storm, brother, so we may or may not keep you on. Yep. Uh, you know, it's all in uh, the hands of, uh, I'm going to say in God's hands, but it's also in the hands of the power authority and the cable company. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. If I disappear, I do have a couple of flashlights at my beck and call, ready to go on my desk. And I've charged all my flashlights and I'm ready to go. I'll just have to go out and pull out my generator. But a lot of times when we get these ice storms, I lose internet. So if that mm. happens, it happens. But um you know, uh, if I could control the weather, I wouldn't be living in East Northport. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, my own private island in the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where where internet never fails, right? Well, Except for hurricanes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, my, hey, Michael, to to start off the year, I thought I would tell a, a pretty cool little story that happened, and 
I think it'll dovetail in really, really nicely with what uh, Dr. Ashby is going to be talking to us about. Um, I actually circled back. It took me a while to find him because we lost connection. And my time in the Air Force was a long time ago, a long, long time ago, you know, 40 years or whatever. Um, I circled back to one of my earliest mentors and it was hard to track him down. He'd retired um, the whole nine yards, but um, he was a staff sergeant in the Air Force. I was a, you know, a, a younger version of me now. Maybe with, uh, I'm not sure that I have a ton more wisdom or restraint, but I was a very brash young airman in the military. And he really took me under his wings and he really set an example for me and, and like cast a vision for what things could be like if you really committed to it. And I, I took a hold of it, even as a younger, a younger airman, he was very helpful to me. So I, I finally tracked him down and he's living in Colorado Springs. His name is Stanley Fonseca. Um, I, I, I don't know what rank he got to, but he ended up being, you know, a fire chief in the Air Force and just consistently this rock solid, setting the example, loving the job, taking care of your troops. I am an example of that, taking care of a young person that he doesn't even know. I, you know he's my supervisor, but we come and go. And he really he's one of those was one of those formative people that really helped me to see what this cool thing that we're doing could be. So I, I reached out to him and, and uh, sent a text to a blind, a couple blind phone numbers. You know how weird that is, right? You know, and it worked out and we connected and it's just been cool. I sent him a couple of the books that I wrote. He had no idea, you know, that I was writing for fire engineering and all this other stuff that we get to do. Now, here's the funny part of the story. He's, he's uh, Hawaiian. Um, he spent Christmas in uh, Hawaii and... Uh, uh, after I sent him the books, he was praising me about the books and all this stuff. And then he said, uh, hey, my my uh, he, he is remarried. He's widowed. He's remarried to a, a high school sweetheart. He said, my wife's son is a firefighter over in Hawaii. And uh, no. his name's Kia. And he said he's a driver for this gung ho firefighting captain over in Hawaii. Do you happen to know a guy named Shane Faruta? And I said, why? Yes, I do. As a matter of fact. We're good friends, man. Shane is like the, uh, he's the epitome of what an FDI student, FDIC student uh, would be and, and the example. So coming full circle, my supervisor who's remarried, his his wife's son is the driver for Shane, who is both of our buddies at FDIC. And it's like this cool big circle of loving the job, doing the right thing, taking care of your people. I thought you would enjoy that story to start out the new year is uh, just kind of fun, kind of a cool thing. That's a great thing. It's a great yeah. thing. And when you invest in someone yeah. or someone invests in you, I mean, I had something happen similar a while back where I, I, my first captain invested in me big time. Yeah. And uh, his nephew is reaching out to me, thanking me because he attended one of my classes and he said, hearing you talk about my uncle told me what a crappy fireman I was being, a crappy boyfriend, a crappy everything else. And now the guy's uh, testing to be the training chief of his department. How mm. cool is that? Mm. So That'll get you out of bed in the morning, right, Michael? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, cool. Well, okay. So two stories from us to start off the new year. Um, I am uh, pleased and honored to introduce you to my friend, uh, 
Dr. Candace Ashby. Let me uh, let me tell you a little bit about her here. Career firefighter with over 33 years of fire experience and a battalion chief with the mighty Indianapolis Fire Department. Um, she's got all the educational stuff that you could want, that you have to do, the price you have to pay to actually have the privilege of being called a doctor. A lot of time, effort, and energy put into to being able to, to be called Dr. Candace Ashby. Um, she is president of Key Fire Investigations and Elite Public Safety Consulting. She writes articles. She teaches classes. Um, she, she enjoys making a positive impact in the fire service through coaching, mentoring, and leading change. And one other thing that she didn't include in her bio, but I'm gonna. Candace has been accepted to FDIC and is one of the people who got the highest attendance of her classes last year at the show. And she's going to be doing for the first time a big room presentation at FDIC. Now, let me tell you something, gang. Not everybody gets to go on that ride. And so um, kind of a cool thing and a testimony to the great job she's doing. So Candice, welcome to the Mikey G and Mikey D show. Well, thank you very much. I uh, definitely uh, feel very grateful to be here. Yeah, well, you earned it. You know, I know uh, you're going to be really kind and you're going to say nice things about your mentors and everything. And I think that's great. You can tell how much we love our mentors and the people who influenced us. But I want you to know you get to that big stage by putting in a lot of work and a lot of effort and energy. And my friend, you earned it. And I can't wait to see you up on that stage. Well, I really appreciate that. And if it wasn't for the attendees, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be there. Yeah. So I really appreciate the, the people that come in and they want to learn and they want to take things away with them. And I seem to uh, I, I really can connect uh, with the audience and I, I kind of see when that happens. So it's it's a it's a good time. I absolutely love it. I didn't realize how much I was going to enjoy it, but I really love it. So. I see a person back there. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Yeah. Come on, come on up and say hello, sweetheart. What's no. your name? It's okay. I'm sending her back down to her mother. Oh man, we would have. We love it when we have guests come in. So. She had her tablet in hand, so I'm sure there was some type of issue going on. That she wants me to buy or an app or a game or something to that effect. Yeah. Very cool. Well, good. Well, hey. Let, okay, let, honey, let, I need you to go. Honey, I need you to go downstairs right now. Thank you. <laughs> hey, hey, honey, this is Mike. You can come back up and talk all you want. This is a good time. <laughs> she she certainly will. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, let's, uh... so, sorry about that. Oh, no, that's great. Mike and I are family guys, man. You bring her back up. We'll we'll oh. ask her. We'll actually ask her to tell us a few things about you that that our listening audience would like to know. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know what would come out of her mouth. And then the, the three-year-old, I don't like, luckily he's coming later. I said, just wait till I get done with this. Cause he'd be a, he'd be a tornado. Yeah. yeah. yeah three years yeah. old. They don't all, they don't often follow commands. So exactly. And then I have a, a soon to be nine-year-old here in a couple of weeks. So yeah, cool. they got the grandkids going on and what a joy. Yeah. Uh, who, who knew they would be so much fun. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's get started with our first question. Um, you're doing okay. a lot of cool stuff in leadership, in mentoring and organizational change and those types of topics. Uh, just get us warmed up with uh, how, how did you get started doing that? Why is that a passion for you? Why is it important? Well, the first thing I, I need to say before I get started is my opinions are mine and not that of any of my employers. 
So to the one thing is that I, you know, I do work in Indianapolis as a battalion chief, but I wasn't raised Indianapolis. So I actually came from a township merger on a uh, four station department on the south side. We merged with Indianapolis in 2009. So I went from a four station department to now a 44 station department. Yeah, you know, 120 guys to 1,300 and climbing. Yeah. Uh, the change that I underwent in my career from leaving one organization and, and going to another and the cultural differences is actually why I am speaking the way that I do today. Um, it, it is very common in this business for the guys to start out to, to have the mentors that they do think that they, uh, you know, uh, Chief Lee describes it in his book, Cornerstones of Leadership, how he had all these great people that surrounded him and showed him the way when he got in the fire service. Well, I believe, it, and I'm not in any way putting myself on the same level as Chief Lee, but I believe we both arrived to where we have a, the, basically the same understanding, but we took two different entirely roads and paths to get there. I didn't necessarily have those mentors in that first department that I was on. It was uh, There was a lot of leadership issues, there was a lot of uh, everybody ate their own. It was a lot of conflict, uh, things that happened. And luckily, I was able to close that chapter. And I was around 19 years, I believe, at the time. Uh, I was right at the cusp of 20 years. I was able to close that book and reopen another book when I got into Indianapolis. And I was like, wow, what an incredible change that I just went through like almost this metamorphosis, born again in the fire service. And that is what gave me the voice to stand up and to, to teach the class that I teach today and go down the road of, of leadership and organizational change because it was so simple. It was like right there. It's just nobody comes out on the street and tells us the things that I feel that I'm coming uh, you know, in with now and, and it it's nothing you know people don't know but they're not told in a way that I tell it I believe and I'm not saying that that I'm some martyr or I'm doing something special but all I really do is tell my story to where I'm saying hey I wasn't given that privilege that most people were given I had to fight claw scratch uh, my way to get you know to, to shape that path and along the way I was very negative. I worked with a means to an end. When I got 20, I was out. When I got 25, boy, I was gone. When I got 30, I was going to retire. Now, last month, I started my 34th year career. And, uh, you know, in Indiana, we max out our pensions at 32 years. So it's very common today for these young firefighters that are coming on. Hey, chief, how much longer you got to go? When are you going to retire? When are you going to sign the drop? I said, are you kidding me? I actually finally get it now. That first 33 years, it was a warm-up. I want another 33 years in the fire service. I couldn't even think about slowing down or stopping right now or retiring. And I can see people light up when I say that because how many times do you see somebody with 30-plus years on say they want an additional 30-plus years in a job? 
Now, IFD is going to age me out at 70, but I have a plan to come back as a civilian. And right now I'm going to work until I'm 99. So you're going to, I want you to read about me as they're dragging my heels out saying, get this lady out of here. So I want to be the Betty White of the fire service. So if you, if you age out at 70, that means you've got to go another 30 years, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You get to seventy, right? You gotta, you got a long exactly. ways to go. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So, and it is so much fun now that I actually got into where I almost like a cruise control. I say that, but it's almost like being on the autobahn at the same time. Yeah. Because I'm like, I finally get it. I finally get what this job is about. I get how much power and influence I have every day when I walk in the doors. Yeah of working for the officers under my command. And and I can't think of a better way to, so I, I just I just absolutely enjoy it and love it and very blessed to be given opportunities to stand up and tell my story and try to educate the people with a message that they can leave and know that they can show up better today than they showed up yesterday. And we need more of that. We need more positive message of how we, you know, how we survive the bureaucratic red tape, the the, the bureaucracies, the government, uh, the things that don't go our way. And nobody ever comes out and tells us that. Yeah. Mm, excellent. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So, okay. So um, we're going to talk about some other things as we go through this. And we started with where you've gotten to now. But one of the questions is, uh, we must reset our minds from what we have been conditioned to believe, that paradigm that we see the world through. Um, what are we conditioned to believe? I believe when we get on the street and into the firehouse after recruit class, we're around our peers. And what we are conditioned to believe is that everything that there's there, any problem that there is in that fire department that you're on, we are conditioned to believe it's the fire chief's fault or the administration's fault. And I believe that is pounded into us at a very young age that we just adopt this mentality where we blame everybody else instead of looking in the mirror and seeing you know, when do we take accountability for our own actions? So I do believe that we're conditioned based on, you know, hey, did the morale's low, who do we blame? We blame the fire chief or the administration. Uh, today, it's common to walk into a firehouse that has issues and say, who, who's to blame here? And we blame two people, the fire chief and the millennials for all the problems we have in the fire service, right? So I'm like, well, if we just, we just got rid of both of those. Say we just get rid of the fire chiefs and we get rid of the millennials. We're, we're, is all of our problems solved? No, it doesn't work like that. So I come into it from a perspective of telling the people, you will never work for a perfect organization because it does not exist. Because all an organization is, is a group of people and those people are not perfect. That being said, you'll never work for the perfect fire chief because they don't exist. We all make mistakes. We just hope to learn from those and get better. Um, but we are just conditioned to that point that we just blame, blame, blame. And what I tell firemen is, you know what? It, you are waiting. If you're sitting back and waiting on somebody to come in on a white horse and save your organization, you're going to be waiting your entire career because it doesn't work that way. 
Not one person is going to come in and change an entire organization. That's why the class that I teach is called Leadership from the Bottom Up, because I'm trying to activate, trying to have a call of a call to action of everybody at the bottom of saying, if you, you know, I hope you like your your administration. Right. I, like, I hope you like your fire chief. Right. But if you don't, what are you doing to change it today? Because every single day you walk in that firehouse, you are mentoring the future lieutenants, the future captains, and the future chiefs. Whether you intend to do it or not, that's what you're doing. Now, you may not be able to control who's at the top today, but you can sure get the future ready sitting out there in the companies today if you get your head on straight. So that's part of the, uh, the other reason that I, I take this in the way that I do on the conditioning. And I try to take the little bit of time we have and untwist the minds of what they're, you know, conditioned to believe. Yeah. You know, it, it really resonates with me, Candace. I know Mike and I spend a lot of time talking about this early on when we're doing leadership training, we hit really early on in everything we do. You just don't control everything. You know, you don't, it, it would be nice. Right. I mean, and, and then, you know, to be candid, I feel like if I controlled everything, then I just screw it up my way. You know, <laughs> you don't, you, you, you have to focus on the things that you can really control and the things upon which you have impact. And most of us don't get to pick our fire chief, right? Most of us don't get to pick our training chief. We don't, those things, we don't get to pick our mayor. We don't even get to pick our company officer, right? Most of the time. Correct. Focusing right. on the things that are really important and that are within our ability to make impact with the skills that we have is such a great starting point. Um, wanna, do you want to elaborate on that a little? Yeah, that, I, you're hitting it right on the head. And, and that is part of the message that I come out and tell people as well is you have got to understand what is in your control and what is not in your control. And what is not in your control is your supervisor or anybody above them, how they do business, how the decisions they make. Right. It's some things are going to go your way, some things are not. But the only thing that is in your control is your own attitude, actions, and behaviors. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, for example, uh, on the control part, and it took me a lot of years to get to that point to understand what's in my control and what's not. But I just, it, we just get so hung up and stuck and, and almost like just in the mud uh, mentally uh, when that happens. And we adopt this mentality of saying, screw this place. Yeah. Okay. So when we get things that aren't in our control, that is what our, where we want to go with our minds, screw this place. And, and my, my challenge to everybody is once you adopt that, and there's going to be days that that's where your attitude's going to be, but you have got to realize that and pull yourself back, especially when you're in a position of authority and you have other people that are depending on you. But once you adopt that mentality, how good and how effective are you, are you going to be? Now, there has not, my entire career has not, it's not been a bed of roses and I do not get a lot of support above me. Not all, but there is quite a bit. And I'll, I feel like I know the reasons why. And, and one of them is because I am a doctor, uh, because I have that doctoral degree in organizational leadership. And I believe people are just jealous or insecure about it, thinking that I want their job. I absolutely don't want their job. I don't go to work asking people to call me doctor. 
half my battalion probably doesn't even know I'm a doctor unless they've seen a class that I advertise. Uh, I paid a lot of money for it, so I had to figure out how to use it, and that's why I intertwine it. Uh, you know, when I when I speak about pushing organizational change, but it's like, and we we get into these this these ruts of of the mentality of when we can't control those things. But I think when you when you like what you elaborate on, when you figure out what you can control, you're off to the races. Yeah, and that's where I'm at. I don't get a lot of support. But that does not give me the right not to support the 15 officers under my command. Just because I don't get it, guess what? And I tell my guys, I got your back. It might be short-lived. Right. <laughs> we, we may all go down like bowling pins, you know, but there's no better feeling in the world than when somebody has your back. And there's no worse feeling in the world when somebody doesn't have your back and you feel like you're on an island out there by yourself. But that's, I think, kind of goes hand in hand with what you're saying, what's in our and and when it's not in our control. Yeah, you know. Um, so just as an aside, we're in the fire service. Go try and tell firefighters they have to call you doctor or call you whatever, and watch what happens next. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. There'll be there'll be some variations of that that will be hysterical, man. Because this is a firehouse, right? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. They actually gave me one the other day at a fire department. I can't even repeat it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. exactly. It's like wow, I've heard that one before. So they just keep the hits coming. Well, um, in talking about resetting, um, you may have already touched some on it, but um, what do you feel is the root problem or the root problems? If you haven't already elaborated on it and, it, and, and our listeners would like not just what the problem is, but what are a handful of things you can do to maybe get past it? So, well, I haven't touched on it yet. And, and what I will say is, you know, I come in with a setup when, when you're taking my class and I say, okay, you're conditioned to believe that something, it, everything is somebody else's fault. But I believe we need to peel back that Band-Aid. We need to expose the wounds in the organization. And it is us. The root of the problem is us. But the solution to that problem is us as well. And I say that from a perspective of what kills us is when we go in around the firehouse dinner table and we start throwing each other under the bus and we throw our brothers under the bus and we stab each other in the back and we take the knife out and we stab the next one. That's not getting anybody anywhere. And that just brings the entire, uh, you know, everybody around you down. And that's where I'm getting to the, let's get to the fundamental root of the problem. Well, the other thing is, you know, the military, I've not been in the military, you have, uh, and and I respect the people that have been there, and thank you for your service, but they go, you know, they train their officers, whatever branch it is, they have to go through uh, good, solid, fundamental training to take officer positions, correct? And part of that training is, if you, and, and Colin Powell says this, if you appeared scared, terrified, hungry, and cold, so will the troops. So the military trains their officers is you got to keep going because you got troops behind you. And so I asked the class, every class I have been to, 100%, not 98, not 99, 100% of the time, I will say, raise your hand if you have witnessed anybody with whatever rank it is in the fire service, whether it's lieutenant up to chief, appear. Uh, 
disgusted, angry with training policies or admin. And every single hand, 100% of the time, will go up in the room. There is another root of our problem. We do not train our officers that it's just like the military. When they go in spreading that stuff, what are the troops supposed to do? So I tell officers, you want to make one change, just one change to increase the performance of you and your crew, be the first one to the truck when the tones go off. Fire EMS, not the last. I said, we were all young once. We were enthusiastic. We get the first few runs. We throw our gear on. We jump on the back of the truck. Our, our hearts are pounding. Still to this day, it gets that way if it comes out with entrapment, right? We're like, oh, the sense of urgency goes up. Well, you just take these first few runs of this guy or gal, put him on the back of the truck, and then they watch some sloth walk into the apparatus because they're disgusted that they just got to run. So how long will it take to tear the enthusiasm out of that new person? But again, then that guy is going to blame things on the fire chief and on the admin and on the government and on everybody else instead of taking a damn good look in the mirror and saying, how can I be better? So I tell officers, be the first one of the apparatus and 100% of the classes I've taught, I say, who's the youngest person in the room? And somebody will inevitably raise their hand. How long you been on? Couple weeks, couple months. How would it make you feel if that officer beat you to that rig when that tone sounds? And a hundred percent of the time, they'll say not good at all. And I say, what are you going to do the next time that tone goes off? I'm going to get faster, <laughs> and I'm going to beat that officer to the truck. But how many officers don't realize that one little piece can make such a huge impact with them and their crew? But yet we're trained, again, to believe everything is somebody else's fault. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And it's always somebody else in the puzzle palace, the, uh, the ivory tower or whatever else, or it's the mayor or it's somebody else. And I agree wholeheartedly with that. And very honestly, a lot of it comes from uh, the common organizational issues that cause these challenges. What issues do you see in organizations that cause these challenges? Well, one of the things that I do, so at FDIC, I just do like a motivational speech. But when a fire department brings me into their organization, I do organizational problem solving. So I sit with the troops across all three days, if it's a career department, if it's volunteer combination, it may be one or two days. I ask the admin to leave the room and I ask the guys, tell me where you feel the issues are at your organization. And then I'm going, they tell me, and then I divide them into crews and they give me the solutions to those issues. So here they go. Issue number one, lack of communication. Issue number two, lack of accountability. Issue number three, micromanagement. Issue number four, lack of direction. Issue number five, lack of good quality training. Now let's stop, let's pause on that one for a second. <laughs> and I tell the guys, hey, I'm going to take everything that you say, put it in a bucket, and I'm going to become a voice for you and regurgitate this to your administration or fire chief, hoping that they will create the change. This is a connection that I try to do between the top and the bottom. And <laughs> they, they will tell that it the entire group will say, We are so tired of training behind a computer. 
we want good live fire training. And I say, I hear you. I, I absolutely hear you. And I'm going to go tell your fire chief that. And we hope they listen. And the fire chief comes out, let's hypothetically say they do. Fire chief's going to come out and say, all right, you guys want training? You go down there on Wednesday to the tower, throw your hoses and fight the fires and do whatever you want to do. So you get what you want as an organization. And what's really going to happen is half the guys are going to bitch because they have to go train, right? Only, so only half? Is, only half? Right, right. right. The majority. Well, the young guys are going to want to do it, Michael. Right. And then here's the sixth or the other issue is lack of leadership development training for the officers to prepare them. So I don't think it's bad people. At one point I did. I thought, man, how can we have so many bad people in positions at the other department that I was on? I don't necessarily think it was bad people. I believe it's a fundamental training issue. I really do. I don't think they ever received the education or training that they needed to be successful. So I believe some officers, it takes them a few years to get it. Some officers, they get it right away. And other officers, they'll never get it. So what are we going to do about it? <laughs> you know, I'd love to go into an organization and say, this place is totally screwed up. Can we just throw all the badges in and start over? But that's not realistic. So then we got to educate them and then we have to hold them accountable. So in the organizational issues, when I go department to department across the country, they and I get into these issues about communication and accountability and micromanagement, lack of direction, whatever. They all say, did you did you pull this place before you got here? Because they have blinders on and they feel that it's only in their organization. I'm like, no, guys, we face we all face the same exact issues, no matter where it's at, no matter if it's FDNY, if it's Indianapolis, if it's Seattle, doesn't matter. It's all the same issues. It's how are we going to become part of that solution? So let me just say this before we move on. Everything I just described for you was an administration, I believe, issue to the operations division. But every one of those issues start at the company level first, because you have officers that won't communicate with their people. You have officers that won't hold their people accountable. You have officers that don't set direction and yada, yada, yada. So I feel like we're on a vicious cycle of Groundhog Day. We keep going around and around and around and repeating the same things from one generation to the next. So if you've got 20, 25, 30, hell, 40 years in the fire service, it's the same. So when are we going to change it? If you work in this job long enough, you're going to work for more than one fire chief. So when do we say enough's enough? We have got to be part of this solution. So that is the push of what I do is to tell the guys, you're not going to get your way. You're going to get knocked down. You're not going to be treated fairly. So what are you going to do about it? You're going to sit over here and pout, or are you going to stand up and be better for it and learn, uh, uh, you know, why you didn't get your way? But at the end of the day, and this is what I tell the guys when I go out to do the problem solving: understand that every organization has issues, and those issues have to be brought to the forefront and worked on. It's called continuous improvement, but you will never solve them all. It, it doesn't work that way. So I could go into an organization today and say, well, there's a communication issue, which is the number one issue plaguing every single organization and industry. And I could go back there a year from now and there's still communication issues. 
But we have to do what we can to constantly make it better and better and tweak it. That's what we do in life as human beings. That's what we do in our families. And that's what we have to do in our in our firehouse life as well. Man, excellent. Um, and it, it, I'll tell you, it leads me right into I, I, these two things dovetail really well. And I'm very curious to hear what you have to say about the disconnect that occurs between administration in the streets and even amongst levels of the administrative organization, there's disconnect, you know, at the various levels because everybody's doing their thing. I actually try to give credit where credit's due. I think most people are working pretty hard. They're trying, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'll tell you how I felt this, Candace. It was a real eye opener to me. I got assigned to the training division. I'd worked in the streets, you know, for whatever it was at that time, 12, 15 years, whatever. That's what I knew. I went down to the training division. Now I'm dealing with admin people and I'm not on the rigs. I'm in an office. I'm trying to run the entire training program for this monster department. And uh, it took about a year and I was disconnected from the streets. Not fully. I, I still get what's going on down there. But I was locked into trying to get buildings and train the recruits and get training programs going and frustrated that they got to work a 24-hour shift and I'm having to drive four hours a day. And after about a year, I felt a separation going where I I started to lack um, sympathy and empathy for what was going on in the streets. That was only after one year, whereas a lot of administrative people, they're distant from the streets for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, it was a real eye-opener to me. It caught me by surprise because I would have never believed it could have happened to me, ever lose you know, mm-hmm. contact with the streets. So talk about that disconnect and what's some things we can do to bridge that gap. Okay. So one of the things that I do is uh, when I'm in front of a live audience is I do a shape of a pyramid because I am depicting what our organizational structure looks like. And it's a pyramid because there's less people at the top and more people at the bottom. That's a, it's wider. That and I divide it into three sections. The top section is the admin. The bottom section is the uh, operations division. And that admin is disconnected. Now, let me say this: I have never been in the administration. All thirty-three years has been on the street for me. Now I've been asked, and I've been very grateful to, and humbled to even have my name included to be asked for it. But I've sit and I've studied it, and this is what I see, and this is just my opinion here. People go into the administration with a grandiose idea of what they're going to do because they want to put their positive thumbprint and positive change in that organization to make it better. And then they get there, and they find out this is not eight hours a day, Monday through Friday. This is 10, 12, 14, 16 hour days. They can never shut it off. It's not five days a week. It's six, seven, sometimes eight days a week. And then they figure out because they're running a multi-million dollar organization with only a handful of people that they have got to do the job that would for a private organization that would take 10 or 12 to get done. So they're spread so incredibly thin trying to put out all these things and, 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 and tie up loose ends. They never get a chance to get done what they went in there to do initially, or it takes so incredibly long because of the bureaucratic red tape. You can't just go down to Lowe's and buy something. You have to jump through a lot of hoops. Now, I also believe the people in the administration, what I call the Bermuda Triangle, that they're up against. 
the public when we don't do our job, the politicians when they have to go get money for us to have the fire trucks and the gear and the clothing and all the things that we need. And then a handful of firemen that sit back and complain about every single thing they do. So this is the reason I personally don't want to be in an administration. I don't think it's my strong suit. However, why would I want to go in there? And I bless the people that are in administration because we have to have people in administration. But why would I want to go in there and bust my ass day in and day out for people to sit out there with slingshots with rocks in them, throwing them at me, telling me every single thing I'm doing wrong? And and it's like, why? who wants that? I mean, how incredibly sad yeah. that they have to go. Now, that being said, so we have this disconnect. This disconnect is people in the administration don't exactly communicate with us down on the street. And I believe what I just described is a big reason why. They don't have the time. They have to make the time. When I go present to fire chiefs, I tell them, you are incredibly busy individuals, but you, it's not like you're going to go to work next week and say everything's caught up and I don't have anything to do today. You have got to carve out time for your people on the street to go out and build these relationships. Even if it's stopping and eating lunch, eating dinner, at the same time, the guys on the street, when's the last time they picked up the phone and called the fire chief and said, hey, chief, why don't you come over here for lunch today? We got this, you know, you can't make it come next day. But we don't do a good job at that. So that's part of the disconnect that I believe happens. And just exactly to what you're saying, the people in the administration and people on the street see the fire service through two completely different lenses. You know, you have the lenses of the administration of how you have to, you know, you're more, you got to check your, you know, cross your T's and dot your I's and go through all this stuff where the people on the street get upset. And they're like, well, why can't we just make this happen? Well, it just isn't that easy to the people in the administration. You can't just snap your finger and say, we're just going to make this change today. We want to make a change in our dispatch policy. Well, you've got to go through, Lord goodness, all these different steps to get that. Where the people on the street say, just pick up the phone and make it happen. So that's the disconnect, I believe, that happens. Now, I said at the beginning of this answer, that I divide that triangle, that organization into three areas. So I have the administration, I have the operations division, but people in the administration come from the people on the bottom. They gradually move up. The strength of an organization goes right, just like the, the body of a human body. If you want to be in shape, you got to have a strong core. Well, same way with this triangle and that core is the company officers. And I challenge anybody that it is not, we always look to the top to see how good that organization is, how good's that fire chief. It's not the top, it's the company officers. I honestly believe that uh, wholeheartedly that, you know, you look at those, if these guys are squared away, they got their hearts in the right spot, they do things the right way for the right reasons, you're off to the races. But when you have company officers out there that don't have the training, to solve conflict in the firehouse and they step aside and allow that conflict to go straight to the top and the rest of us get mad because the administration got involved. Right. But why did they get involved to begin with? Because somebody at the bottom wasn't doing their job. Right. Yep. So that's part of the disconnect that, that I feel that, that happens. And then 
in the very beginning when I said the operations blames two people, and that is, uh, you know, the millennials and the fire chief. And it just, we got to start taking a look in the mirror and say, we're all to blame because an organization, every single one of us, but we're conditioned to believe that it takes the top to do any change. And I say, get that out of your heads. You want to change it? Show up better today than you showed up yesterday. Start taking care of your brother on the right and the brother on your left. And then you will change the organization. So um, we're going to continue on, Candice, and you touched about on it a little bit, but I really love this point, being a company officer. Why do you believe that company officers are more powerful than fire chief? Ah, <laughs> because they have the power to walk into a firehouse and tell somebody to shut the hell up, and they don't do it. And why don't they? That is, you know, and most in the, in, the comp- in the departments that I came from, it's the company officers that are in there, the ones that are, are, are being negative and, and talking and, and, and just spreading the toxicity and the cancer throughout the organization. But if you have, you know, um, what I call, and I'll just jump, the, ten, the bottom 10%. So when I'm in a, a uh, lecture, with a group of, of individuals. I say, I believe, and I do believe, and I, and I know that you guys believe this too, the majority of the fire service are good people. They really are. But there's a handful in every single organization that aren't going to be happy no matter what. Right. You could come in and you could hand them a $100 bill and they're going to bitch because it's not 200 So I ask the organization that I'm in, tell me the percentage Give me the, you know, the the place that I was at recently. There were 44 guys on the bottom in the, in the operations division. How many of those 44 do you believe are truly disconnected, unhappy for whatever reason uh, they would bitch if you gave them money? And the overwhelmingly response I get is between 5 and 10%. So I always take the higher. Let's say 10%. That's where the 10% come from, that they're going to complain. They're in denial. They create drama. It's really bad when that 10% have rank. But unfortunately, that's where our tenured people are, and they're the ones that are tainted, and they, something's happened to them in the past, and they cannot let it go. They are so stuck in the past, they can't embrace the future. But then I turn it around, and I say, listen, guys, do you guys, does everybody agree it's 10%? Yep, absolutely. Well, then that leaves 90. That leaves 90% of the people that all they have to do, you guys know who in your organization, who the negative people are. And when they start talking that crap, get up and walk away. What stops us from getting up and walking away and not having that cloud our minds any longer? And nobody likes confrontation. Nobody likes conflict. But this is what I tell guys is anybody that takes my classes, and I'll say this 100%. You go to somebody and you know who they are and you say, you are my brother. You're my sister. I love you with all my heart. I would do anything in the world for you, including risk my life to save yours. But when you start talking like that, I'm leaving. I don't want to hear it anymore. And can you imagine the impact that would make in a firehouse if one guy spewing stuff sitting at the table and the other three guys get up and walk out? and go out in the bay with their coffee. Yeah. Or 
an officer that actually understands the gravity of their job and the power that they actually hold, not power over people, power with the people, walk in and say, hey, enough, not today, not on my engine, not on my ladder, not in my firehouse, not in my battalion, not on my shift. Are you going to sit and act like that? Now, either get shape it up or get the hell out. It's one of, you know, we have mechanisms today that we can send people to EAP. And I do believe, I do, I would never discount mental, uh, 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 you know, the mental crisis that's out there today. And there may be a reason that people are disgruntled, they're stressed, PTSD, whatever. But I believe the overwhelming majority is just a spoiled, rotten brat that got their way and they never were with an officer that put their foot right square up their ass and tell them to knock it off. And, and if we had more of that, if we could engage the officers to start taking command of their people and understanding that they're there to build teams, they're there to grow and develop every single person around them. Could you imagine the difference we could make in the fire service? Huge. And no matter who is in the administration, when they're out, guess who's getting ready to take over? we got the guys up there that actually understand it's earned the respect of their peers are taking care of their people. And then we eliminate the micromanagement of things of today. Well, you know, the cool, the cool thing about that, Candace, is it comes full circle back to controlling what you can control, right? Yes. There's not a company officer listening to this webcast right now that doesn't have the ability to step up, stiffen up. You know, if I if my Australian buddy said, take a teaspoon of cement, princess, and harden up. You know, there is not a company officer listening right now that can't determine that starting moving forward, they're going to start to hold their folks accountable, in particular, the Eeyores and the the, the, the bad mouthing people. Yeah, well, my chief doesn't do that. Why should I? Simple. It's your fire company, man. It's your firehouse. Right. right. Yeah. And it's going to yeah. have a huge impact if you don't do it. Why not do it and have a better impact on your thing on your thing? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, We got we got to dealing with the 10 percent. If you want to talk about them a little more, that's fine. Um, I'm going to move to the next to the last question. Um, Actually, I'm not. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to throw you a curveball. Okay. because we talk kind of about the bummer people. All right. I don't want to just talk about the bummer people. Um, What are what is your favorite activity or thing to do that can build camaraderie. And here's here's why I here's why we ask that question. Mike and I believe pretty strongly and we focus on this when we talk about leadership. One of your goals as a company officer is to try to get so many on board with the cool stuff that you're doing that the the dogs and the turds and the the 10% or the 5% start to feel really lonely. If you get more and more people on board with the cool stuff that's happening, there's going to be less of an audience for the bad mouth and people to have people to, to glom onto. And they're going to start feeling like the anomaly that they are. So what do you do to boost camaraderie? You know, what do you, how do you, how do you boost it in this time of so many EMS calls and so much division and everything Man. else? <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Yeah. Um, let me, <clears throat> let me start with this. I came from a department that you were lucky if two apparatus in the same house helped each other pick up hose. Mm. I work at a department now that when it comes time to pick up the hose, there's 50 people in line. It's an expectation, right? 
Absolutely. Now, here's the other thing. There's another big learning that Candy Ashby has been through in my career. How many times a chief, when I was out in the companies as a lieutenant or a captain, that said, hey, you you guys got all your stuff together. You guys can go in service. And we couldn't get to that apparatus fast enough to get inside there and blow the exhaust on everybody else as we're laughing, driving away, because we don't have to pick up any of that frozen hose sitting on the ground. Right. Right? I work at a department now that if I tell my guys, and I have rock stars in my battalion, absolute rock stars, hey, guys, you guys got your stuff, you can go in service. This is what they do. They say, okay, chief, thanks a lot. They go to the apparatus, they hit the in-service button, they grab their gloves, and they head right back over, and they pick up every bit of hose until it's all picked up. Absolutely. And then I'm like, man, you know how many times I didn't do that? And what a learning that is today and where I tell the young people, like, you, you, wow, you know, as far as that. Now, that's one avenue where that's guys taking care of the guys because we're in an organization now that they're not focused on the little petty stuff, petty stuff, you know, what the administration's doing. These guys come in. That's kind of the advantage, as you guys know, of the big city department. Guys can come in for each other at a firehouse. Now, <clears throat> in another um, decade that, that I was in uh, battalion chief's position, I had a guy that refused to cook for his people. And I, I, he was on his way out. He was ready to retire. I didn't understand it. I got mad about it. I showed up at the firehouse. Long story short, I threw a calendar out in the middle of the table. I said, every single person's going to take a day and you're going to cook. And I got up and left. What in 15 minutes, the union's calling me, union president. Chief, we got a grievance filed against you. You can't make your people cook. <laughs> we actually have a policy about it. I said, well, how do you change the policy? They said, what are you talking about? So how do you change the policy? Well, I don't know. You change a policy and send it to labor negotiations. So I got on the computer five minutes later. I changed one sentence and I sent it to labor negotiations. Now, I went back to that firehouse the next day. I stopped at the Dollar Tree. I walked in with a 500-piece puzzle that cost me a dollar. And I said, come over here, boys. This is a ladder crew. The one guy was a part of. And I said, guess what? This is called battalion chief training. It's called team building. I opened it up and I put the 500 pieces on the table. Now, when it only costs a dollar, they're only this big and they don't fit together really well because they're paper thin. You get what you pay for, okay? (laughs) And I say, call the union and find out if I can do this. All right? And you're going to put it together. And if you don't want to, that's fine. It's called insubordination. And next day, I'll come back with a 750, and the next day, a 1,000 piece, and we'll just keep going. It's called progressive discipline. Or you guys can put this together. Call me when it's done. And they did, and it took them nine hours. They were charkies. Come on. That's right. <laughs> and, and you got to know. So you, when you we turned it over, how much tape was on it. <laughs> when, we, when we got there to get it, my XO takes – the, the puzzle puts it on a, you know, an empty cardboard box and we take it back to the quarters. And I went to Walmart and I bought a, a $5 frame, whatever it was. I modge podged it and I put it in a frame on what they completed. And I went back and got permission from the house captain and I hung it on a firehouse wall. 
Now, the funny part of this, they all hated me when I went back at nine hours later, but they were at least collectively in, in agreement with something. That's, a, that's one way that I built camaraderie. So let me bring this back full circle, even though it was against me. The funny part was, is I found out that the truck company had made a couple of runs and they had to leave a guy back to protect the puzzle because they knew the engine company that was all over time. They were going to come in and screw the puzzle up and take the pieces and all that stuff. You know how this works in the firehouse, but they're all sitting there like, what in the hell? What is a battalion chief doing bringing puzzles in there? You know, like puzzles? Like, you know, it's like, oh yeah, it's called team building games. Now, I have been back to firehouses with armloads of team building games. Now, when I when I teach team building in an academic setting for a training, we do team building games to break the monotony of sitting in a class and listen to a PowerPoint. And it's a lot of fun. But I've went into a firehouse with the team building games and I have it is the most effective management tool I have used to date. So, yes, you can write people up. You can, you know, you, we have the formal things of discipline, but I'm like, uh-uh, we're going to go down my road. You're going to make a house of cards. You're going to play spaghetti and marshmallows. You're going to do the ping pong with the Dixie cups and water instead of beer. And I went back and we did these team building games. The guys were hating it. But here's how crazy I am. I'm like, I ain't leaving, guys, until everybody freaking smiles. And everybody's enjoying this. And they're like, you guys know, you guys know. You're thinking, this woman is freaking crazy. I was like, I know, I'm in menopause. You know, here we go. Right? The team building games, effective. Also, here's another thing. We can all read and write, but we do not like to be told to read and write. So what I do, and it's another effective tool, is I tell people, if you do something that makes me mad, send me an email by five o'clock on how that shit ain't never going to happen again. And they do. They send me an email. And now it's in writing. And if I do have, have not have, knock on wood, I haven't had to revisit it yet. But if I do have to revisit it, all I have to do is hit print. They just did all the work for me. Oh, where were we at? You said this in March and here we are in June and you're repeating the same violation. What the heck happened, right? I've also been known that um, just say, hey, you know what? We're going to be better for this at the end. I can give you all the doctoral level research that your little minds can possibly take in. And we're going to write a research paper and share it with the whole battalion. Now, what I just described for you is a form of punishment. At the end of the day, whether you call it progressive discipline, puzzles, team building games, it all is a form of punishment. I'm just trying to find better ways thinking outside the box to do this that will make bring them together and make them tighter because this is what this is about is building camaraderie and brotherhood, right? Now, take that aside. Another thing that I do is I buy steak dinners for all my firehouses once a year. And now this year, we just started with coffee and donuts with the chief. So we're showing up in the morning with a box of donuts sitting around and so that we can build the relationships as well. I've also been down the road where I, I sponsor a Christmas, uh, pretty big Christmas event, Christmas dinner. This past year, we did casino night. Um, it was a big, huge event. We had door prizes. It really looks like a uh, uh, awards banquet level. You know, we cater and everything else. It's pretty expensive, but it's a way for us to show appreciation to the people that are out there doing this. And I don't think there's enough of that going on. Right. And that builds. But at the bottom line, 
and you guys already know this, you teach it all the time, it's we set the tone. And what tone are we setting when we walk in there? And I honestly believe I'm the happiest person walking into Indianapolis. I really am. Because that's who I want to work around every single day. Now, back in the day, 30 years ago, it was not uncommon to put firehouses together to play volleyball, to play basketball. We don't see that today. They are completely disconnected. The only times they come together is on a run. Well, I figured out, again, trying to think outside the box, uh, ways to bring those firehouses together. So we may have, I have the officers come up with what they want to do. What kind of competition do they want to do? We've had cornhole and I've allowed the apparatus to go around and play cornhole and we'll keep the chart uh, together. And then a winner gets a steak dinner or whatever for uh, the, you know, from the battalion chief. We also had a guy that was retiring that was a pretty good cook. And so I invited every firehouse to make a dessert and they showed up and then we had a judging contest over the dessert. Um, we've done that to build the camaraderie and the brotherhood and to bring the people together. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I'm just so incredibly blessed that the organization that I'm at today is I work with those rock stars and they get it. And if I occasionally get somebody that doesn't get it, then I'm bringing them back between those organizational lines or it's not uncommon for me to put officers in remedial officer training with the battalion chief. Uh, there's one thing my guys don't want. They don't want to be on my radar. Right. So, uh, because we're going to have fun and we're going to get to where we take care of each other at the end of the day. And that's what this is all about. So I, I absolutely am just having a blast. Not, I don't understand. I've only done the puzzles twice, but once that word got out, and when I change battalions, you know, picking up the phone like, hey, whatever you guys do, don't make her mad because she'll give you a freaking puzzle. <laughs> you know? uh, so, it, you know, it's so much fun. And, and to be around people that really get it, to take care of each other. That's that's what means more to me than than anything. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Great, great answer. Oh, enjoyed the heck out of that. Good job. That was, that was, that was a lot of different variations. <laughs> I enjoyed that. No, it's very good. And it's also good for some of the people who are listening coming up to avoid that conflict stuff to get that team building in there. And I think it's great. And so as we're getting set to uh, end this, uh, we're going to talk about some of the things that you have taken. What are some of the great classes and trainings that you recommend? Oh, well, there's so many. I don't even know where to start. but. Let me just say, you know, at one point in this conversation that we've had, I say that I feel that it's a fundamental training issue of where we fail our officers not to prevent them. So let me start with that, where I feel these are the classes that are missing in the fire service. That, you know, we have a several different leadership classes, and you can, as you two know, you can go a thousand different ways when it comes to leadership. You can go transformational, you can go servant, you can go all that. We've got to have these lead, you know, more effective leadership classes for our officers. But where's our management 101 classes? You know, there's a whole Facebook thing going on. It's, I don't want to be a manager, I want to be a leader. Okay, I understand that in context, but at the end of the day, our managers have to understand leadership and our leaderships have to, our leaders have to understand what management is. Because I want to be a leader just like anybody else. And I want to say the majority of my time, I am. 
But what happens, and as you guys know, leadership is about inspiring another person, right? It's about inspiration. But what happens when you run into somebody that doesn't want to be inspired? What are you going to do if that's all you want to be as a leader? Well, for me, I turn that leadership hat around and I become the manager. Now you're going to do it because I told you to do it. If that's the game you want to play. That's where the management really comes in and takes over. Where's the organizational leadership classes at? How we how how we play such a critical role in that organization, the success of that organization and, and putting them five foot down the road, which we're trained to believe it's just the administration. <coughs> Where's the effective communication classes at the fire service? Where's the interpersonal relation classes? Excuse me, I got to get a drink. And this is where I talk too much. <laughs> Here's another one. The opposite of micromanagement is delegation. Where's the delegation classes at? It teaches our people, this is how you delegate. Yep. Where is team building classes? Everything we do, we do as teams. But where's those classes at? And how often do they go on to continue to build high-performing teams? Where is the generational classes, the decision-making classes? See all these classes that we're missing? <coughs> Excuse me. And I think we're it's- I think it's so important that you bring this up. And it's one of the things, being the officer, being that company officer who is the foundation of the department and sitting down with the men and women. And uh, I will say one thing, because this is something I always believed, that we're sitting down and having fun. And whether we're uh, playing a game or doing something fun or whatever else. The one thing that I think is so important that the officers have to be aware of is they're still the officer. And I always said that one of the things that I wouldn't do as an officer, I would sit down and watch the guys play cards, but I wouldn't play cards in the firehouse. I wouldn't take money from one of my men. It wasn't what I, you know, I didn't believe in that, you know. So these guys are playing poker or Texas Hold'em or what, and they're having a great time. That's fine. I'll sit down and watch them, have a cup of coffee, talk with them, and the whole nine. I'll sit down and watch the game going on, but I won't participate in the game, but I'll still be there building the team. So I think there are a couple of, there have to be some parameters because, you know, playing Monopoly or, you know, um, any game is fun in the firehouse and it gives you something to do, but you have to be aware. The officers have to be aware of where they are in the organization. And I think it's very important. Well, it, and I, I totally agree with you. And it's just like being a parent. You know, we have to parent our children. Yeah. And it's the same thing at the firehouse. You just have to be confident and receive the training to have the confidence to understand you are the boss. And there are times that you have to stand up and be the boss. And as long as you're comfortable with doing that, I think that kind of is where the gray area is where people are like, well, I don't know if I can get involved with my guys or not get involved with my guys. Well, you got to know when it's time to draw the line in the sand and say, now I'm your boss. And that's like the relationship between myself and my XO. We're very tight, uh, you know, because it's just the two of us and we're a team. But even she knows that uh, when I get aggravated or I get upset and I say, you know, I just have to become the boss and say, hey, this is the way it's going to be because that's the way it is. It's my battalion. This way I'm going to run it, period, end of story. Um, but we have got, you know, as long as people understand 
And I think that's going to come through this training and this recognition, but more than anything, this peer-to-peer mentoring. So we get more mentors out here that teach, you know, these guys coming into FDIC and they listen to great instructors and, 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 you know, just being able to go out and say, you got this, you can do this. Then we're going to leave them going back to where the practical part and the powerful part is that they can make that change in their crews. And then it's going to expand to their station, expand to their shift, expand to the apartments. I think that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, Kenneth, I know we're just scratching the surface on all the things you talk about. Um, But you know what? This is a nice little intro into what they're going to get when they actually either come to see you at FDIC or there's also the possibility that you travel and you teach. They could hire you to come to their department, the folks that listen to this. Um, so let's let's kind of close out there. Uh, you're welcome to say anything else that we missed that, you know, a highlight point that you missed. But if you would um, tell us about your FDIC big room class, what's the title? What's it going to be about that kind of stuff? And then um, how do our listeners get a hold of you if they want to hire you or or have you come to their organization? OK, well, the FDIC class is called Leadership from the Bottom Up. That's kind of my flagship program where I walk in, but it's, it's, it's so much fun because people read the program and they automatically assume what the class is, what it's about. And they, and then they come into my class and it's total opposite of what they thought they were going to get. And that's what makes it a lot of fun because then I open my mouth and they're like, Oh my gosh, we thought this person was a doctor. <laughs> well, I am. And they got so tired of me being there. They just gave me the degree and said, get on, get on out of here, you know? And, uh, but I do t- a lot of the things that I talked about today, the disconnect in the organization between the top and the bottom, uh, the 10 percenters and get activating that 90%. I do a personal leadership um, where a, a segment to where I feel that I, I break it down to the most simplistic form. So for people to leave and really understand how they can go out and become a better leader after they leave the class. The other fun part, if anybody's taken the class or been around a class that I end with, I leave everybody fired up. So we, that, you know, we, if we have this class, we all come together. People are like, oh, yeah. And I've been so incredibly lucky in the way that I speak and the way that I present to be able to hit the young young guys all the way up to the 50-year guys, uh, you know, 40-plus-year chief. It's, it's something I said has resonated with them. But then I make sure when they leave that they all come together and they realize that what's important is that guy on the right, the guy on the left. And then I have the whole crowd standing on their feet screaming at the end of it. They're yelling, hell yeah. And so it's, uh, it's really fun. I know I did it this past year. I did it. I do it every, every class I have. But this past year, somebody was in the hallway and they were like, what in the world is going on? And I had the, the you know, there, I don't know how many people were in there, <laughs> a few, you know, and they're all yelling, hell yeah, at the end. So, <laughs> but that is a lot of fun. I can't wait to do that in the big room session. So um, to gather all those people up and leave them fired up by the end and then they're running out the doors or ready to go make the positive change in their organizations. So that's what it is. Uh, To get a hold of me, my Facebook page, for those that have Facebook, is Candace Key Ashby. I have Elite Public Safety Consulting uh, Facebook page that I put all the classes up that I do. We're nonprofit. Um, So that's why... I put all those up there 
uh, on that particular page. And um, you can get, you know, I can give you my email, which is, uh, I'll give you a C Ashby at C A S H B Y at elitepublicsafety.com. Uh, that's my email address and uh, anything not, I don't have all the answers in the world. I'm just gliding along trying to figure this thing out called life. But if there's anything in the world I can do, even if it's just to be an ear, uh, please give me a call because I do believe the more of us that come together, the stronger we are. Amen. Yeah. And I thank you both for allowing me on this, this, uh, taking me out for this show. And, and I hope to see everybody at FDIC. Did you have fun? Did you have fun doing this? I had a blast. Okay, yeah, good. Absolutely. Good, good, good. Well, you did a wonderful job. Um, I know I know these I know when we're trying to stay at an hour, an hour and fifteen, <laughs> it's frustrating because there's so much you could talk about. You know, we could we could probably just stick on one question and go down five different trails to flesh it out. But this is just intended for folks to see that you're legit, that you know what you're talking about, and all that other stuff. They can do either at the conference or they can do when they have you come to their organization and you really have the time to develop all the thoughts to a much fuller extent. So I know I'm interested, so I can't imagine that our listeners aren't no. interested. I'm proud of I, you, Kenny. I'm proud of you. you. Um, you know, thank you, you. I do have a disclaimer that it's not for the faint of heart. That's good. That's what. <laughs> Fire service, man. I inevitably will will offend somebody, and I'm like, you know. I don't mean to do it, but uh, they. I think people need to start hearing the truth. Yeah. And we need to start telling each other the truth yeah. and talking to each other instead of the sneaky, sneaky backstabbing crap yeah. that goes on yeah. too often. Yep. So we yeah. got we got to fix it. We got to do better. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. Sorry I went over. I get to, you get me on a roll and I get, I get all good. enthusiastic about talking about it. Nope. But hell, my class at FDIC is only an hour and 45 minutes. We're only 30 minutes away from me finishing up and having the whole class on here. <laughs> yeah well cool well michael any last thoughts no just want to say thank you so much it's been eye-opening and there's so many things that you can talk to people about and learn about in this service of ours uh you talked about communications and i mean i still think it's one of the best things i ever done i love the book crucial conversations and I went to a three-day training, three days on crucial conversations, and just being able to communicate and think about it, and all of the stuff, and the officers, and being able to communicate with your people. There's so much in this, and even if you go to this class, okay, leadership from the bottom up, even if you go to this class and you pick up a couple of things, it makes you a better firefighter, officer, or chief. So get out of your shell get out of your box and try to see what other people are doing to making the organizations better and i think it's a blessing thank you yeah uh, and i would close out again thanks to everybody who watches our show and enjoys the guests that we have on you can see why we picked dr ashby to lead off 2024 um there's substance there's authenticity um there's um there's a communication style that I think resonates with street firefighters. And so my sincere hope is that you'll you'll reach out, you'll pursue some of her written material, maybe have her come to your organization, come check out the class at FDIC. Um, you know, and, and uh, from, from Mike and I to you as we start 2024, uh, I'm fully aware, we're fully aware 
that it's a tough old world out there and there's a lot of challenges facing you in your fire departments. Um, there's, there's political challenges, as, as Candace articulated, there's organizational and structural challenges. And then you got your own stuff, you know, with your families and, and all the things that are going on. Mike and I just want to encourage you as you're moving forward that you have a role and you have a part to play. And if we don't get that from you, our calling and our fire service is less because of it. We need you. Your role's important. It matters. And I just want to encourage you to, man, consider moving into 2024, whatever went on in 2023 and 2022 and 2021 and all this other stuff. Make 2024 the year that you decide this calling that we're blessed to be a part of is the year that you recommit, or if you're already committed, great, keep rocking. But this is the year that you give it what it's due, and you you attack this thing with passion, and you you bring to our great calling and our department and down to our fire companies, you bring your skills, your knowledge, uh, the cool stuff that's true about you that's not true about anyone on this webcast. you got stuff that we don't have. You decide that you're going to bring that to your organization. And wherever you are, you're going to try to make your your firehouse, your rig, your crew. If you're all the way down to the recruit, the person to the right and the person to the left, all the way up to those of you that are leading at a higher level, that you're going to make 2024 a time where all the things that Candace articulated today starts to become part of your game and gang that you you do that, that most incredible thing. You earn this sacred badge that each one of us is privileged to wear on our chest. So uh, from Mike and I, from from Dr. Ashby, from our, our bosses, Diane Rothman-Felchild, and um, from uh, David Rhodes, um, God bless you, man. Hope for a great 2024. We're cool to be on the ride with you. And if we don't see you before on the radio show, we'll see you at FDIC. And uh, God bless. Take care. Thank you. Trusted turnout jacket you've had for years. Flex 7 outer shell fabric delivers a perfectly broken in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of Enforced technology, Flex 7 outer shell fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced technology only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics.